0: Welcome to Strung Out, a podcast dedicated to look at life through the lens of an artist. That artist and your host is Martin Lawrence McCormack. And now here's Martin. All right. Thanks for
1: joining us. We are continuing along in the series about people who have been affected by COVID, which is everybody, but especially musicians and how their lives have had to go through a transformation during this trying time and a great fan of this lady, I was talking to him last week and he said, you should interview Vicki Price. And I was like, you're right, because of all the years I've been around Joe and Vicki Price, I've never really talked to Vicki about her music. So let me introduce her to you. Vicki Price, along with her husband, Joe, have been the blues power couple of the Midwest. From their home in Decorah, Iowa, they've created a traveling music show that's been to almost every corner of the country. While Joe has been known for his style of music, it's been Vicki who has really upped the ante by bringing her no-nonsense guitar play and excellent vocals to the stage. As writer Chad Taylor notes, Vicki Price can be bold and brassy when she wants to be. Her voice has elicited visions of Loretta Lynn or June Carter, but she's able to get far bluesier than any of her most obvious comparisons. This pandemic has affected the duo, like a lot of other musicians, mainly by the closing down of venues that supported them. That wasn't bad enough. Vicky has been battling her own health problems during the pandemic. It's been a transition of sorts for both herself and Joe. She has that great Iowan sense of humor and outlook on life, so I'd like to introduce to you to Vicki Price, who I feel is a great example of what it takes to surmount the challenges and be a successful, independent musician. How's that for an entrance? Well, I hope I live up to it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have been a mainstay of the music scene. For people that are not familiar with the Iowa music scene, I've heard somebody say anything East of I-35 is the Iowa music scene to some degree, between the yes. river and I-35, and that does hold true. Tell us a little bit about your musical upbringing.
2: Okay. I grew up in Waukon, Iowa, a very small town, in the northeast corner, Elmakee County, one of the poorest counties in the state. I told Joe when he moved up here that he would have to learn to entertain himself because <laughs> <laughs> there was not a lot going on. I started singing in church, When I was four and five years old with my sister, my mother was the organist and we had no choirs, so she taught us to sing harmonies together and we would sing on Easter and Christmas and the holidays. At 12 years old, I saw Odetta on TV and looked at my mom and said, I want to do that, I want a guitar. Mom saved up stamps and got me my first guitar. So that's where I came out of. As I grew up, as a teenager, I started seeking out other people that were playing guitars, so I could learn more because I was just teaching myself and not moving along as fast as I wanted. So I started going to bars and clubs and parties uh, that featured live music and started talking with men that played. In our area, there was only a couple other female musicians at that time. So that's how I got started, and I just kept playing and met Joe, and that was it.
1: You guys got married, like, what, 1987? Yeah. And And when did you guys really start, like, playing together?
2: When we first met, I started just going along with Joe on his shows. He was playing with Mother Blues, but when they weren't working, he would go out and do solo shows, and I would go along with those and just sit in for a song or two. And that kind of gradually changed into me being part of the whole evening. So that's how we worked out. I did that for about eight years. And then I had a little boy when I met Joe. And it was time to stick closer to home. The only time I went out and played with Joe was when he was real close to home. Then in 2000, my son had grown up and left home. And I had been working at a button company and I was doing their uh, catalog work and a lot of work on the computer. I decided that I would take over the booking and managing Joe and get us out on the road, and that's what I did.
1: That turned out to be just a, a huge success. National Guitars joined ranks yeah. with you guys. Let's talk a little bit about your style of music, the blues.
3: Yes,
2: Joe <laughs> and I both like the country blues, mm-hmm. and that's that's much more acoustic than the Chicago style. So when I met Joe, I was listening to like Elizabeth Cotton and Mississippi John Hurt. I listened to Doc Watson, Merle Travis. Joe was listening to everything blues. He turned me on to a lot of people I had never heard of. Tampa Red and the Memphis Minnie. A lot of women in the blues he turned me on to. So that's where our music comes from. And while we write a lot of our music, we write around that blues style of writing and playing. So that's, that's where we come from. And we love it. We love that kind of
1: music. Would it be fair to say that there is an Iowa twist to a lot of this blues style? I always felt Alamakee County, Northeastern Iowa really had its own vibe. Let's talk about that vibe. I think anybody that is into music would really enjoy that Iowa vibe. I like to describe it is is full engagement of feet as percussion and mm-hmm. there's a huge heavy rhythmic kind of sound that's generated by one or two people and you guys certainly do that. Would that be a fair assessment?
2: Yes I think it is. I think the northeast corner of Iowa is different from the rest of the state where things are more flat. We look more like Vermont. Our hills aren't as big, but it's really hilly here and forested. It's a place a lot of Iowans come to and they go, wow, I never knew Iowa was this beautiful. But it does make for small communities. We don't have any large cities. We have to get to Iowa City and Cedar Rapids south of us to hit any kind of population centers. So the musicians are tight and work together a lot. I think the sound came together because of that. We were always trading ideas and licks. And and so we developed a sound in this corner that I think is pretty good. Yeah. I call it it Blues Americana.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a unique sound. And from traveling around, I've never heard anybody do it in any other part of the the country where I would be like, aha, they got it. That was a neat discovery for myself, just going out to that part of Iowa. Brian Fitzgerald and I always call the Shire. <laughs> it seems like something out of The Hobbit when you get there. You're like, oh, we're, we're back in the Shire. Earlier, you mentioned you're one of the few female artists around there. And that holds true even now. Talk about that, because it's been for a good chunk of time a boy's game, so to speak, right?
2: Yes, very much so. And it's hard to break into that, that little boys club. It's getting better. There are definitely more females on stage now than when I started. I could go 30 years ago. I could be at a festival and be the only woman in three days on stage. So it's gotten much better from those days, but there's still a long way to go. A friend of mine, Jenny Gross, that performs with the Chris Avery Band, she was booking and I had festivals tell her that we've already got our female performer so that's still going on today i think it's harder for a woman to get credit for what she does especially instrumentally from the boys i was doing an interview in san francisco and they were going through our latest release and the guy was talking about joe's solos and they talked about a couple of solos that he did on the album. And then he asked about the song Drift And uh, where did that come from, Joe? And Joe says, asked Vicky, that's hers. The record was in front of him with my name on it, and it's still, I can't read this. So there is that blind spot that still has a long way to go.
1: When I heard that Jenny was out playing, I was like, oh, that's great. We need more powerful, self-assured artists across the board, but especially women in the independent music business. It seems like it's an added obstacle, an added hurdle to women because it just hasn't been equal.
2: No, it hasn't. And I'm glad it's changing. I think that as a woman, you have to, first of all, develop your skill, develop your talent. So when you go in, you can deliver women are much more critical of themselves i think than men i've seen a lot of men get on stage and and i'm thinking boy i would have never done it if i was at that stage of learning women are harder on themselves when it comes to performance and they want want and expect more from themselves and that holds them back confidence is important and then knowing what you're doing
1: I look forward to the day when people can just get up on stage and none of that stuff exists, but I I don't think that's going to be our generation, unfortunately. Let's take a, a minute here and play one of your songs. We have three selections, and why don't you introduce the first selection? I asked you, pick something that kind of represents where you are right now.
2: Yeah, I've been writing blues, Type songs, and I like Red Dress. That is a blues category of bragging song where you you boast usually about your sexual prowess or your attraction. I'm 67, so I needed a red dress. People love it. Both men and women think it's hilarious, and it is. <laughs> it's a funny song, uh, especially when an old lady's singing it. I have a good time with that one.
1: Great. Let's give it a spin. You're listening to Vicki Price on Strung Out.
4: Selamat menikmati.
0: a way to let Martin know that you appreciate the show. Click on martinmccormack.com and go to the donate link. Your financial gift of love will keep the show rolling.
1: I want to talk to you, Vicki, about your songwriting. I always mm-hmm. find it interesting how people go about song. Can you tell me, do you have any sort of ritual that you do?
2: I usually am writing stuff in my head. I know people talk about what just float out of me. Those things are floating around in the back of my mind for a while until I'm ready to put it on paper. So I don't think it comes automatically. It's usually when I've learned something new on my instrument and I want to do something with what I've learned. When I first started playing guitar, someone would teach me a song. Then I had one song. But if I wrote a song based on what I had just learned, then I had two that could play. (laughs) So it was always very tied to what I was learning on my instrument. And I have to have a melody that inspires me. Because the music is really important to a song. <laughs> Sometimes that gets lost. But that's how I get inspired to write when I learn something, a new trick on my guitar.
1: That's cool. The guitar is your entering point And how, especially when you're on the road, are you like these types that say, if it comes back to me, it's a good one? Or are you like, I better record this? How do you go about capturing it?
2: Joel loves to drive. So I write a lot on the road, and I write little stories. But I also, if a line or something comes to me, I write that down because I'll forget it, and then I'll be mad that I don't have it in my head when I want it. So I write those things down that are things that I'm thinking about or just something that comes to mind. Maybe it's something I heard on the news. Maybe it's something we're driving by or a restaurant something that stimulates me and then I'll make a note and the notes will be on paper napkins <laughs> you know anything I can get my hands on that's how I
1: keep track of all the ideas I always love to ask musicians how they keep it all together I love the napkin bit too because uh <laughs> that's really risky isn't it
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> it is yeah. Yeah. yeah I blow on my notes
1: at a good time right right <laughs> I think I've cleaned more lyrics out of the switchback van over time, used it to change oil and things, but it's, it's an odd situation. But I always, I think, do you feel that there is such a thing as a muse? Do you feel like you are in touch with some sort of a mysterious force that helps you do this kind of life?
2: Not really. I think because I started when I was so little, I started singing in church when I was very small, and then got. A, I played piano for a while as a kid, and then at 12 went to guitar. So it's it, music has always just been there for me. It's just always been there. So I really don't think about it, and it's just my life, you know? mm-hmm. and <laughs> has been for as long as I can remember. I don't like to analyze any of it too much. It's, you know... It, It's hard to explain why you write down things. I know a lot of people don't, but I always have. Even when I was a kid, I was writing stuff down. So it's just always been who I am.
1: Let's continue along about the life of a musician because it is a difficult life. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yes, it is. It's worth all the difficulties, though. It's hard because you have to sell yourself every day and and it's hard to sell yourself. It's always easier to sell someone else. So I've always approached my booking as selling Joe Price. Joe, I just think everybody here should hear Joe Price play guitar. So that is an easy sell for me, much easier than selling what I'm doing. So that's the first thing. You have to get over your fear of, of selling yourself. And then
3: take it serious. It's a job. Set up an office hit it every day.
2: It's a job, and you just sit down and do it. And then you get to do the fun part. You get to go home and play for people. The travel is exhausting. It's We spend a lot of time in our van, and we sleep in our van a lot. Mm-hmm. When, like when we're driving to California, we're on the interstate. We get off at dark. We just pull into a flying day, sleep in the van, because we're going to get up at 7 in the morning and drive again. There's just no point in getting a hotel room. When we get a hotel room, everything in the van goes into the hotel room. We leave nothing in the van because so many musicians have been ripped off. So by the time you load everything out to the hotel and then you're going to bed at 11 o'clock and getting up at 7 and you've got to load everything back in, it's just easier to stay at the Flying J and get up and go. And then when we get into San Francisco or someplace, then we'll get a hotel room.
1: That makes so a lot of sense, yeah. Tough. <laughs> it is. It is, yeah. It, there is a romantic notion of the traveling musician, and, and you just did a good job to dispel that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we have a niece, Sadie, and she is so talented. She is really a, a wonderful girl, and she won, thought she wanted to be a performer. And so her dad was working in Montana, and we had gigs there, and he asked us, to drive her out with us to see him. So she was on the road with us and for five shows, <laughs> four days. And she was just like, by the time it was over, she decided that she needed to think along a different line. She went to college and now she's writing for a jazz magazine. So she's still in the music biz, but she had a eye-opening experience at 16 on what it's really been.
1: As an independent musician, do you think our way of life is... On its way out, do you feel that, especially with the COVID? Let's talk a little bit about that, and and yeah, let's talk about it. We got enough time, I think, on this this recording. So go ahead.
2: Last on uh, March, I think it was the fourteenth. Joe and I were driving home from a show in Marshalltown, Iowa, and we were listening to the radio. We looked at each other and said, "This is our last show." We we knew then that that this was serious. And we were out of work for at least a year. It's always scary to be out of work, and it was scary for us because we're both older, so it's not like we could go out and get safely get jobs someplace else. And then I ended up with health issues later on that made it impossible for me to do that. We had money uh, saved. But that went pretty quickly, and we were very glad that the government helped people out. That's what got us through, basically. So that was tough. And then our fans came through uh, in, a, in a, such a big way. I was just, I was just, I still just can't believe it. I got diagnosed in November with thyroid cancer, and a friend who knew that we'd been struck a year started a GoFundMe, and me then I had my thyroid removed in November. And then in January, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, which I'm going through treatment now. And a friend, Benji Nichols, who has in, been in the music business, started a GoFundMe and raised us $20,000. And that allowed me to pay for my health insurance, my deductibles. And it got us a vehicle because our vehicle had 425,000 miles on it. Our garage guy was saying, you guys got to get something else to drive. So we got not a new car by any means, but we got a vehicle that will get us back on the road. It's a humbling experience to have people be that generous with you. I still can't talk about it without crying. Yeah, I mean, it just overwhelms you. You don't realize when you're out there in the grind, playing every night and driving, that you've touched people's lives enough that they want to help you out.
1: I think you're hitting a point that is probably one of the richest rewards of being an independent musician you don't realize how many souls you're touching yeah
2: you really don't
1: (laughs) independent musicians are not as tribal as one would think especially when one of their own is hurting and needs help i I think what benji did was fantastic and just and so appropriate too we all could be you you yeah let's play another song why don't you introduce a song and then we'll continue along
2: okay let's play my man and that was a song that i wrote on the road i remember we were driving through the deserts of texas and it took me about three days but it gradually got there and i've been playing it for a number of years now and it's just how i feel about my husband
1: (laughs) wonderful wow all right that's awesome let's listen to my man you're Listening to Vicki Price, we'll be right back after we listen to this song. All right. Thanks. Let's try that again. All right. Thanks for joining us. And we are continuing along in the series about people who have been affected by COVID, which is everybody, but especially musicians and how their lives have had to go through a transformation during this trying time. And a great fan of this lady, I was talking to him last week, and he said, a great person, because I was talking about the podcast, and he said, you should interview Vicki Price. And I was like, you're right, because of all the years I've been around Joe and Vicki Price, I've never really talked to Vicky like about anything having to do with her music and such. And so let me introduce her to you. Vicki Price, along with her husband Joe, have been the Blues Power Couple of the Midwest. From their home in Decorah, Iowa, they've created a traveling music show that's been to almost every corner of the country. While Joe has been known for his style of music, it's been Vicky who has really, truly upped the ante by bringing her no-nonsense guitar play and excellent vocals to the stage. And as writer Chad Taylor notes, Vicky Price can be bold and brassy when she wants to be, Her voice has elicited visions of Loretta Lynn or June Carter, but she's able to get far bluesier than any of her most obvious comparisons. This pandemic has affected the duo, like a lot of other musicians, mainly by the closing down of venues that supported them. That wasn't bad enough. Vicky has been battling her own health problems during the pandemic. It's been a transition of sorts for both herself and Joe. And, uh, Truly a force of nature in her own. She has that great Iowan sense of humor and outlook on life. So I'd like to introduce to you to Vicki Price, who I feel is a great example of what it takes to surmount the challenges and be a successful, independent musician. How's that for an entrance?
2: Well, I hope I live up to
1: it. You, You have been a mainstay of the music scene. And for people that are not familiar with the Iowa music scene, I've heard somebody say anything east of I-35 is the Iowa music scene to some degree between the river and I-35. And that does hold true. Tell us a little bit just about your musical upbringing, your experience, and then we'll get into all the other stuff.
2: Okay. I grew up in Wauken, Iowa, a very small town in the northeast corner, Elmachee County, one of the poorest counties in the state. I told Joe when he moved up here that he would have to learn to entertain himself (laughs) (laughs) because there was not a lot going on. I started singing in church when I was four and five years old with my sister. My mother was the organist and pianist at church, and we had no choir, so she taught us to sing harmonies together, and we would sing like on Easter and Christmas and the holidays. At 12 years old, I saw Odetta on TV and looked at my mom and said, I want to do that, I want a guitar. And mom saved up green stamps uh, and got me my first guitar. So that's where I came out of. As I grew up, as a teenager, I started seeking out other people that were playing guitars so I could learn more because I was just teaching myself and not moving along as fast as I wanted. So I started going to bars and clubs and
3: parties uh, that featured live music and started talking with
2: with the men that played since in in our area there was only a couple of other female musicians at that time. So that's how I got started. And then I just kept playing and met Joe, and that was it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and you met Joe... would have been back in the you guys got married like what 1987 or yes okay each other for a long time prior to that and and when did you guys really start like playing together I know you you played before you were playing out obviously you guys are playing together when did you guys look at each other and say let's take this first locally but then you guys really went out on the road and everything when did that yeah. all happen When
3: we first started when
2: we first met I started just going along with Joe on his shows he was playing with Mother blues but when they weren't working that was a full band. When they weren't working he would go out and do solo shows and I would go along with those and just sit in for a song or two and that kind of gradually changed into me being part of the whole evening. So that's how we worked that. I did that for about eight years and then I had a little boy when I met Joe and it was time to stick closer to home. The only time I went out and played with Joe was when he was real close to home. Then in 2000, my son had grown up and left home, and I decided that I had been working at a button company, and I was doing a lot of their uh, catalog work and a lot of work on the computer, and I decided that I would take over the booking and managing Joe and get us out on the road, and that's what I did.
1: And that turned out to be just a a huge success. You guys ended up, I know, uh, National Guitars joined ranks with you guys. And let's talk a little bit about your style of music, the blues. Yes. (laughs) Such a tough, Um, you know. uh, Joe
2: and I both like the country blues, mm -hmm. and that's much more acoustic than the Chicago style. So I, when I met Joe, I was listening to, like, Elizabeth Cotton and Mississippi John Hurt. I listened to Doc Watson, Merle Travis. Joe was listening to everything blues. He turned me on to a lot of people I had never heard of. Tampa Red and Big Bill Broonzy, Memphis Minnie. A lot of women in the blues he turned me on to. So that's where our music comes from. And while we write a lot of our music, we write around that blues style of writing and playing so that's where we come from and and we love it we love that
1: kind of music and would it be fair to say that there is an Iowa twist to a lot of this this sort of music this blues style because i always felt like that part of Iowa Alamakee County northeastern Iowa really had its own vibe and let's talk about that vibe because I think anybody that is into music would really enjoy that idea. That Iowa vibe, one of the things I like to describe it is is full engagement of feet as percussion, and there's a huge, heavy, rhythmic kind of sound that's generated by one or two people, and you guys certainly do that. Does that would that be a fair assessment?
2: Yes, I think it is. I think... The northeast corner of Iowa is different from the rest of the state where things are more flat. We look more like Vermont. Our hills aren't as big, but they are it's really hilly here and forested. And, and it's just its a place a lot of Iowans come to and they go, wow, I never knew Iowa was this beautiful. But it does make for small communities. We don't have any large cities. We have to get to Iowa City and Cedar Rapids south of us to hit any kind of population centers. So the musicians are tight and work together a lot. And so I think the sound came together because of that. We were always trading ideas and licks. And, and so we we developed a sound in this corner that I think is pretty good. Yeah. I call it, I call it Blues Americana.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's a unique sound. And from traveling around, I've never heard anybody do it in any other part of the, the country mm-hmm. where I would be like aha they got it but that was a neat a neat discovery for myself just going out to Iowa to that part of Iowa which mm-hmm. I always Brian Fitzgerald and I always call the shire because it yeah. seems like something out of the hobbit when you get there you're like oh we're, yeah. we're back in the shire you know yeah. uh, <laughs> now earlier you mentioned you're one of the few female artists around there and that holds true I think for the music live music scene even now talk about that because it's it is it's been for a a good chunk of time a boy's game so to speak right
2: yes very much and and as a woman it's it's hard to break into that that little Boys Club, it's getting better. There are definitely more females on stage now than when I started. I could go 30 years ago, I could be at a festival and be the only woman in three days on stage. So it's gotten much better from those days, but there's still a long way to go. A friend of mine, Jenny Gross, that performs with the Chris Avery Band, she was booking him and actually had festivals tell her that we've already got our female performer. So that's still going on today. And it's I think it's harder for a woman to get credit for what she does, especially instrumentally from the boys. I was doing an interview in San Francisco and they were going through our latest release and the guy was talking about Joe's solos and they talked about a couple of solos that he did on the album, and then he asked about the song Drifter and where did that come from, Joe? And Joe says, well, ask Vicky, that's hers. The record was in front of him with my name on it, and it's still, I can't read this. So there is that blind spot that still has a long way to go, long way to go.
1: And, and part of that, how do you think your advice to women trying to get out there, I, when I heard that Jenny was out playing, I was like, oh, that's great. We need more powerful, self-assured, you know, artists across the board, but especially women in the independent music business. There's a big difference between being an independent musician and then somebody that's propped up by a label. And I I think that even helps with both. I've seen that with both male and female artists there, but it's just an added, it seems like it's an added obstacle, an added hurdle to women because it just hasn't been equal.
2: No, it hasn't and I'm glad it's changing. I think that as a woman you have to uh first of all develop your skill. Develop your talent so when you go in you can deliver for one. And don't be women are much more critical of themselves I think than men. I've seen a lot of men get on stage and I'm thinking Boy, I would have never done it if I was at that stage of learning. <laughs> you know? right. Right. So I think I think women are harder on themselves when it comes to performance, and they want and expect more from themselves, and that holds them back. So I think they they confidence is important, and right. then knowing what you're doing.
1: Right. It and. It, I look forward to the day when people can just get up on stage and none of that stuff exists, but I, I don't yes. think that's going to be our generation, unfortunately. I think we're all too too wired in, unfortunately. But let's, let's talk about a song. Let's take a, a minute here and play one of your songs. We have three selections, and mm-hmm. why don't you introduce the first selection? And I asked you... Pick something that kind of represents where you are right now.
2: Yes, yeah, I've been writing blues-type songs, and I like "Red Dress." I wrote that has a bragging song, which is a, a blues category of song where you you boast usually about your sexual prowess or your attraction. And I'm 67, so I needed a boost. <laughs> I wrote "Red Dress." And the people love it, both the men and women, just think it's hilarious, and it is. <laughs> it's a funny song, especially when an old lady's singing it. But we have, I have
1: a good time with that one. It's, it's a good one. Great. Let's give it a spin. And okay. you're, you're listening to Vicki Price on Strung Out. And we're playing the record. We play the record. We play the record. We play the record. <laughs> I edit this in, and then we go... I want to talk to you, Vicki, about your songwriting. I always mm-hmm. find it interesting how people go about songwriting. It, can you tell me, do you have any sort of ritual that you do?
2: I usually am writing stuff in my head. I know people talk about just float out of me, but I really, those things are floating around in the back of my mind for a while until I'm ready to put it on paper. So I don't think it comes automatically. It's usually. When I've learned something new on my instrument and I want to do something with what I've learned. And I've done that since I started playing. I'd have, when I first started playing guitar, someone would teach me a song. Then I had one song. But if I wrote a song based on what I just learned, then I had two songs I could play. (laughs) So it was always very tied to what I was learning on my instrument. And I have to have a melody that inspires me. And because the music is really important to a song, <laughs> sometimes that gets lost. But that's how I get inspired to, to write is when I learn, learn something, a new trick on my guitar.
1: So, the, okay, that's cool. The guitar is your entering point. And how, especially when you're on the road, how do you, what do you do? Are you like these types that say, if it comes back to me, it's a good one? Or are you like, I better record this? And how do you go about capturing it?
2: When I'm on the road, Joe loves to drive. He does all the driving. So I ride a lot on the road, and I write little stories. But I also, if, I, if a line or something comes to me, I write that down because I'll forget it, and then I'll be mad that I don't have it in my head when I want it. So I write those things down that are things that I'm thinking about or just something that comes to mind that maybe it's something I heard on the news, maybe it's something we're driving by or a restaurant we were in, something that stimulates me, and then I'll make a note, and the notes will be on paper napkins, anything I can get my hands on. Right. That's how I That's how I keep track of all the ideas.
1: That's. I always love to ask musicians how they keep it all together. I love the napkin bit, too, because <laughs> that's really risky, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah I know <laughs> right,
1: right I think I've cleaned more lyrics out of the switchback van over time, and used it to change oil and things. Do you feel that there is such a thing as a muse? Do you feel like you are in touch with some sort of a mysterious force that helps you do this kind of life?
2: not really i think because i started when i was so little i started singing in church when i was very small and then i played piano for a while as a kid and then at 12 went to guitar so music has always just been there for me it's just always been there so i really don't think about it and it's just my life you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) and has been for as long as I can remember. I don't like to analyze any of it too much. It's hard to explain why you write down things. I know a lot of people don't, but I always have. Even when I was a kid, I was writing stuff down. So it's just always been who I am.
1: Let's continue along about the life of a musician because it is a difficult life. Yeah
4: yes it is
2: it's hard because you have to sell yourself every day and and it's hard to sell yourself it's always easier to sell someone else so i've always approached my booking as selling joe price joe i just think everybody here should hear joe price play guitar so that is an easy sell for me much easier than selling what i'm doing so that's the first thing you have to get over your fear of of selling yourself and then take it serious. It's a job. Set up an office, hit it every day. It's a job, and you just sit down and do it. And then you get to do the fun part. You get to go home play for people. The travel is exhausting. It's, we spend a lot of time in our van, and we sleep in our van a lot.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: when, like when we're driving to California, we're on the interstate, we get off at dark, we just pull into a flying day, sleep in the van, because we're going to get up at 7 in the morning and drive again. There's just no point in getting a hotel room. When we get a hotel room, everything in the van goes into the hotel room. We leave nothing in the van because so many musicians have been ripped off. So by the time you load everything out to the hotel and then you're going to bed at 11 o'clock and getting up at 7 and you've got to load everything back in, it's just easier to stay at the Flying J and get up and go. And then when we get into San Francisco or someplace, then we'll get a hotel
1: room. That makes so a lot of sense, yeah. Tough. <laughs> there is a romantic notion of the traveling musician, mm-hmm. and you just did a good job to dispel that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we have a niece, Sadie, and she is so talented. She is really a, a wonderful girl, and she want, thought she wanted to be a performer. And so her dad was working in Montana, and we had gigs there, and he asked us to drive her out with us to see him. So... She was on the road with us and for five shows, <laughs> four days. And by the time it was over, she decided that she needed to think along a different line. So she went to college and now she's writing for a jazz magazine. So she's still in the music biz, but she had a eye-opening experience at 16.
1: As an independent musician, do you think our way of life is on its way out?
2: Last on March, I think it was the 14th, Joe and I were driving home from a show in Marshalltown, Iowa, and we were listening to the radio and and we looked at each other and said, this is our last show. We we knew then that, that this was serious and that we were probably out of work for at least a year. And that proved to be true. It was it's always scary to be out of work. And it was scary for us because we're both older, so it's not like we could go out and get safely get jobs someplace else. And then I ended up with health issues later on that made it impossible for me to do that. We had money uh, saved, but that went pretty quickly. And we were very glad that they did, the government help people out. That's what got us through basically so that was tough and then our fans came through uh, in in such a big way I was just I still just can't believe it I got diagnosed in November with thyroid cancer and a friend who knew that we'd been struck a year started a GoFundMe and then I got hit I had uh, my thyroid removed in November and then in January I was diagnosed with breast cancer which I'm going through treatment now and our friend, Benji Nichols, who has in, been in the music business, started a GoFundMe and raised us $20,000. And that allowed me to pay for my health insurance, my deductibles. And it got us a vehicle because our vehicle had 425,000 miles on it. And our garage guy was saying, you guys got to get something else to drive. So we got not a new car by any means, but we got a vehicle that will get us back on the road now this year to, to go back to work. It's a humbling experience. To have people be that generous with you, I step in and talk about it without crying. Yeah, it just overwhelms you. It's you don't realize when you're out there in the grind playing every night and driving that you've touched people's lives enough that they want to help you out.
1: Great, and I think you're hitting a point that is probably one of the richest rewards of being. An independent musician, you don't realize how many souls you're touching.
2: Yeah, you really don't.
1: <laughs> and and that there is surprisingly, the the independent musicians are not as tribal as one would think, especially when one of their own is hurting and needs help. I, I think what Benji did was fantastic. And it just and so appropriate too. We all could be you. Yeah, yeah. That's the way yeah. I look at it. But that's uh, and let's Let's take a little break here and play another song because we're getting to the end of this role and I got to change over. Let's play another song. Why don't you introduce a song and then we'll continue along talking about COVID and all this other fun stuff.
2: Okay. Let's play My Man. And that was a song that I actually wrote on the road. I remember we were driving through the deserts of Texas and it Took me about three days, but it gradually got there, and I've been playing it for a number of years now. And it's just how I feel about my husband.
1: (laughs) Wonderful, wow. All right. That's awesome.
0: That you've heard Martin McCormack, you should see him as well. Tune in to the Mister Marty Show for talk, a COVID cocktail, thirty seconds of cute on the corner, special guests, and music. Go to martinmccormack.com and click on the Mister Marty Show link. Vicky, I love the fact
1: that you are very transparent why you are writing these songs. The song that you just wrote for Joe, my man. And I think that's very different from a lot of artists. A lot of artists want to be to some degree mysterious. I think one of the big ones is Bob Dylan, where people write so that there's a little bit of distance between themselves and the person listening to it. Is that just who you are? Is that just the way you think of your audience?
2: I, it comes from what I like to read. I like to read poetry that I understand right away. I like to read books that I understand. It might take me a while, but I get there. I'm not into the kind of transcendental idea of writing a song that's mysterious or obtuse. I just want people to know this is what I'm thinking about and feeling and usually a lot of other people are thinking that way and mm-hmm. that you connect that way with your audience and that that's a good thing. I'm not trying to be uh, intellectually brilliant or anything, you know.
1: Right. <laughs> I'll right. leave
2: that to people that really... That
1: translates well, too, with the Key Blue style that you guys pioneered. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: I think so. I think Greg Brown spends a lot of time up here, and I've never heard a Greg Brown song that I didn't know what he was talking about. Even if he's talking about Europe, where I've never been, I understand what he's saying, and I think that's part of the writing style that comes out of here. Yeah. I think people are just blunt.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I think so. That and it, and I should say that there are some artists that have certainly been influenced by that kind of sound too, out of Alamance County. One thing I wanted to ask you about is with the COVID and with these health concerns, what is it looking like right now for you? You've got a pretty heavy fight on your hands, and can you share with us just a little bit?
2: Yeah. Um, I had, I went to the doctor yesterday for my thyroid checkup and there's no cancer in my throat now. So I'm good that way. My voice is good. Getting my thyroid removed is like having a pillow taken off my vocal cords because the, the cancer. And I also had Hashimoto's disease. My thyroid had been inflamed for a while and swollen. So it really feels better singing now than it did before so that's going good i have to go back in six months and i'll keep track and make sure nothing else shows up and then i had a lumpectomy on my left breast on monday and once that heals up then i'll do three to six weeks of radiation five days a week and for us that's an hour and a hour and 15 minute drive to lacrosse one way and back every day for Three to six months. Right. <laughs> or three to six weeks, excuse me. Yeah. And that's, you know, where we're at. So as far as booking, we didn't want to do anything until it, it was warm enough to be outside because at the time that I started booking for 2021, we didn't know when the vaccines were coming. So I started booking in May. We'll do a couple of shows in June, a few more. And then July and August, we'll start hitting it hard as hard as we want to what we've learned from COVID is that we want to slow down a little bit we were doing around 165 175 shows a year all over the country spending a lot of time on the road and not a lot of time at home and Joe is 70 this year I'll be 67 here in a couple weeks and COVID just put the brakes on everything we realized how really tired we were we've been doing this for decades so it was nice to to catch our breath and we've just decided that maybe two shows a week is going to be what we want to do and limit our travel to places we really want to go to so i think it's changed covid has definitely changed our view on how we want to spend the last years of our life we really would like to spend at least part of the time
1: at home sure (laughs) I think COVID has changed a lot of traveling, working, independent musicians' outlook. You're not the only one that I've heard say almost word for word what you just said, including myself, where I'm like, wow, this is what it's like. You know? <laughs> it's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. Okay, now I get it. But yeah. it does, I think anybody who hasn't slept in a van and gone from gig to gig like you have, it's very hard to uh, imagine. You just don't realize the amount of stress. Do you feel that stress played a role with your health situation, or do you think that's just genetics? Do you feel like COVID almost in some ways now has given you permission as well to take care of this and chart a new course? I know you're not going to play as many gigs, but it's interesting how that all happened at the same time.
2: Yes. We've talked about how fortunate that my illnesses were diagnosed at a time when we weren't working so that I could have the time I needed to get well again. I don't think that the stress of traveling contributed to my illness because the thyroid illness, the Hashimoto's disease, that is genetic. And once my relatives found out about it, I had five of my cousin's contact me that they had it also and my sister has it and my niece so that's definitely genetic the breast cancer I'm not sure where that came from because my sister had it but no one in my mother or father's side of the family none of their sisters or any of my aunts have ever had breast cancer so probably some chemicals we're using or something yeah
1: something. who knows yeah. the scientists are finding more and more just how much plastic we even have in our systems. So I think we're all in the same boat in some ways. One thing with this whole COVID experience, have you changed your writing or have you been influenced by it and the cancer to come up with new songs? How are you sharing this with your fan base?
2: Yeah, I, I did write a new song which I haven't recorded yet about what it was like in my town when the COVID hit and what it's been like not to travel and and to not to be able to see our grandkids, that kind of thing. Yeah, that of course I wrote about that. It's I write a lot about what's going on in in the world. I've I write a lot of politically centered songs that Joe doesn't doesn't do, but I write a lot of politically centered songs the last the previous administration was a wealth of material <laughs>
1: <laughs> people don't realize
2: <laughs> no and i'm very glad that it's quieted down and i can move on to a different topic
1: <laughs> well let's let's talk a little bit about that because i always wonder you have fans that probably are on both sides of the political divide. I just assume everybody does. Is it tough to know that you might say something that's going to alienate somebody? Or do you feel that it's the responsibility of the artist to allow herself to express herself honestly?
2: I write bluntly and I write what I'm thinking. And that means that oftentimes people don't agree with what i'm saying and that's fine. I don't want the whole world to agree with me, that'd be horrible. I have republican friends and they may not like my politics but they like the music, so they stick around. I try not to be abrasive about things. I think that talking about things like religion and politics we need to do that with concern for the other person that may not agree with us. We need to try to be delicate in our wording and still get our point across and i try to do that i'm not always successful though sometimes people tick me off and being from northeast iowa i'm perfectly capable of unloading on them <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, most of the time I try to have a respectful conversation i think the only way that we will change things is through respectful conversation it won't be through yelling at each other and name calling that's right. not that's not going to change anything
1: at what point, how far can you push it?
2: I push it a long ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have no problem with that. Music, historically, has always been used, good or bad, in politics. Hitler used music to control the masses. we would have these big symphonies and all this stuff going on. So to think that music is divorced from politics, it isn't happening. That's why we have a national anthem. That's why we sing the praises of our country, is because music is is such an intimate way to connect with people. I just watched Friendly, Leboot's Pretend It's a City and she discussed that musicians are really loved in a way that other artists aren't. It's because people connect the events of their life with the songs that we're playing on the radio. We have a connection, a personal connection, with our audience that perhaps a painter never has. And I think that's true. And that plays into the every aspect of our life, whether it's love or fun or politics.
1: It seems to me that musicians haven't become more strident or anything like that over the years, but it's other branches of the media. This whole partisanship, if you will, has become so bad that something that was just natural to do now is looked upon as something that is almost dangerous.
2: Yes, yeah, yeah. I think that musicians who are political have always been in danger from the people in charge or the people that want to be in charge. And look at what Pete Seeger went through in his life with being blackballed has a communist anybody brave enough to speak out is to a certain extent putting themselves on the line i think and the media is really fanning things a lot nowadays and but this is not the first time that's happened
1: certainly we are experiencing rage for profit is yes and hopefully with this new administration people will be able to step back from the brink let's play let's play your third song And give us a little setup on this one.
2: Okay. We used to play a bar in Dubuque called uh, Merth. I think you guys played there.
1: Mm -hmm. And
2: it was an Irish bar run by a second-generation Irish woman, Pat. Her dad had owned the bar. And we we had played the night. And at the end of the night, I'm sitting at the end of the bar with this older gentleman. And he he says to Pat, the owner, he says, "Um, give me another beer. I'm going to park the car behind the bar and call my wife. She's frying steaks at the VFW, and I'm going to have her pick me up because I've drank too much. And so he gets on the phone, and he hangs up, and, and he's just a pat. The wife says she's a beer away. I went out in the car, and I wrote this song. That is one of the very few cases where the song just just came. It was just, he wrote it. All I had to do was put it on
4: paper. <laughs>
1: I love it. When that happens, don't you feel like a kid in a candy store? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's what a great title. Let's give a listen to A Bear Away.
0: Want to keep up on all things Marty? Visit our webpage at martinmccormack.com and see Marty's art, his podcasts, The Mr. Marty Show, and soon-to-be-published book, martinmccormack.com.
1: You are listening to Strung Out, and I have Vicki Price, somebody I've known for a long time, but I've never really had the chance um, to sit and talk with you at length really because if you weren't on the road i was on the road or we both were on the road and that's one of the joys of this whole thing with the pandemic now i can sit down and actually have some fun talking to people give us your wisdom about live music give us your wisdom about dealing with cancer and covid Where do you see this all going, not only for yourself, but for the world in general?
2: I think that the world has changed with this disease. I'm not sure that we will ever return completely to normal. I think, for one thing, hospitals have learned a great deal about how just expecting people to wear masks when they're in there has Actually improved hospital care. I think that from now on, you probably will be expected to wear a mask when you go to the doctor. And I think that's a good thing. I think that we will be very aware. I hope that this kind of disease could have just as easily come out of a confinement farm in Iowa. These are situations that we have with the way that we raise our meat that are dangerous to the world and this has been proven, and I hope that it brings change in agricultural p- policy. I really do. I think for the music business, it's going to be a strange year. I know several of the venues that we've played for decades are out of business. It will be tough for venues where in short supply to begin with, and I think that's going to be worse. But eventually we'll come out of it. People like music. They're going to they're going to find a way to do it. <laughs> and venues will find a way to, to do it because I think people need music. They need it. feeds their soul. So I think we can look for better things, just different. The world will be different after COVID.
1: And that sidekick of yours, Joe Price, how's he been holding up during this whole thing?
2: He has had all of our instruments any problems fixed on him that we had he has gone through every amplifier he plays every day of course and he's a big reader and joe is actually a pretty shy guy and i don't think it's hurt him too bad to be at home you know he's done and we get along well like we've lived in a van for 30 years so being at home was with each other was we had a lot more room (laughs) A lot more space to get away from
3: each other.
1: (laughs) And now you live out in Decorah. I I remember when you used to live down in the holler down there with that old stone schoolhouse nearby, Mm -hmm. just an idyllic place there. I remember hearing the story of handing up guitars, you know. I was like, gosh. Yeah, we went
2: to the rough. We had all our guitars in a quilt that Joe's mother had made us. (laughs) And the dog.
1: (laughs) So... It's it's uh you have a book in you or three. Also, you guys are very much into raptors. Can you just yes. touch a little bit on that? We haven't
2: been as involved in the the later years. Once we started traveling coast to coast, it's just impossible to keep a raptor. Joe's a falconer and the only way you can leave a bird is if you have another licensed falconer that can care for it. We haven't been too involved. Joe goes out every once in a while to the Eagle Mouth here in Decora. And he has friends that fly birds that he can go hunting with them and get his kicks that way. We were in the Raptor Rehab Center for a number of years where we took care of injured birds of prey. And, and we got out of that when they developed a really good facility in Lacrosse and just didn't need us to do it anymore. But we missed the birds. They were a lot of fun.
1: And what, what a beautiful creature when you are close up with them and just they're inspiring yeah <laughs> yeah you know, they are <laughs> and you are also inspiring Vicky. you are not only still blossoming you're still taking the taking punches but you're also turning this stuff into gold just by sharing who you are and what you're doing and you've also laid out some wonderful advice and inspiration in the course of this podcast and I really want to thank you for taking the time to agree to be on this podcast. And as I said earlier, you have a big fan. His name is Doug Side, who ran a concert series down in Donaldson, Iowa. Just another neat place. And you truly do live in the Shire. You live in a, a magical part of the world. And it's no coincidence that Vicky Price and Joe Price call that part of the world their home. So I want to thank you. being on strung out
2: thank you (laughs) it was fun
1: yeah and we'll do this again i wish you nothing but uh, full recovery and a lot of gigs and a full tank of gas you you know (laughs) thanks all right so thank you uh, everybody for listening and we hope that you join us next week for another podcast of strung out
0: thanks for listening to strung out on our website you can sign up for the newsletter for strung out as well as the mr marty show Just go to MartinMcCormack.com.